1922, the nine-story-tall Chase Hotel was completed in St. Louis's Central West End at the very beginning of what would soon be called Route 66. The hotel was the crowning jewel of the region and set the standard of luxury for the entire Midwest. As the year 1922 came to a close, the Chase Hotel hosted several Christmas parties, balls, and black tie affairs. These events had it all. Exquisite fine dining, slick uniformed bellhops, immaculate decorations, but it also had something that no other local establishment did. Lots and lots of alcohol. This was year two of Prohibition, and it was being enforced ruthlessly. But the Chase Hotel seemed to procure all kinds of alcohol, seemingly out of thin air. And that fact made the Chase Hotel the must-attend New Year's Eve destination for anybody who was somebody. Preparations for the New Year's Eve extravaganza began even before Christmas. The chef's special ordered ingredients for fine French cuisine, invitations were sent out, and illegal alcohol was stockpiled in a tunnel system below the hotel. As the sun began setting on December 31st, men and women dressed in tuxedos and evening gowns respectively began arriving at the Chase Hotel. Lobby boys gathered coats as the guests entered the sprawling ballroom. Lights illuminated every corner of the hotel's ornate wood engravings and reflected off the spotless marble floor. Partygoers arrived at their seats and greeted the others at their tables. Women removed their silk gloves and placed them down next to the placards that read, Patrons are earnestly requested not to violate the law, obviously in regards to prohibition. But the hotel was in on the joke. The placard might as well have been winking at them. The tablecloths were intentionally oversized to better mask the booze when it began arriving via quick-handed waiters. A large orchestra played all of the latest hits as couples danced to ragtime and blues. A large crowd even gathered outside, comprising a mostly lower-class laborers who just wanted a glimpse of the spectacle or hoped the endless fountain of booze might somehow trickle down to them. As the night carried on, the partiers drank and drank as more whiskey, brandy, or rum seemed to replace itself in their flasks and glasses concealed under the table. As the clock neared midnight, the guests' attention turned to some new men entering the ballroom. But these were no normal guests. The intruder's leader was Gus Nations, a dedicated teetotaler and St. Louis's chief prohibition enforcer. With him was a posse of officers known at the time as Dry Agents, whose sole purpose was rooting out any drinkers or suppliers of alcohol. Chief Nations and his group quickly began searching glasses and under tablecloths for any signs of alcohol. And they didn't have to look hard. Many patrons had the smell of fine whiskey on their breath or had already spilled wine on their dresses. The atmosphere remained tense as the Dry Agents continued their search of the ballroom. The orchestra did what they could to lighten the mood. Eventually, one of the enforcers believed he saw a bottle of something being passed under a table. He quickly yanked up the tablecloth, but in the process, accidentally yanked a woman's gown above her knees. She screamed, and her escort promptly responded by punching the dry agent in the face. And that is when all hell broke loose. Many party guests arose in outrage, charging at the prohibition officers. Guns were drawn, half-drunk patrons wielded plates as if they were shields and raised their butter knives in defiance. As the agents were quickly surrounded by over 200 partygoers, pistol shots echoed through the ballroom, injuring several guests. 
Silverware flew across the room. Gus Nations and his enforcers began being pummeled with food. The frightened conductor simply ordered his musicians to play louder, to drown out the noise of the chaos. The rabble outside clamored over each other to get a glimpse of the maelstrom in the ballroom. Immaculately dressed men and women climbed over each other to yell at the agents who were now in a full-on retreat. Tipsy guests blocked their path until another shot fired out, this time breaking a window. The agents eventually made their way to the lobby and escaped down the steps. The entirety of the Chase Hotel ballroom and all the surrounding onlookers cheered as the failed raiders fled the scene. And St. Louis's Central West End 1922 ended with a bang, and the partygoers at the Chase Hotel soon entered the year 1923, joyous, proud, and quite inebriated. Along with the rest of the country, the Chase Hotel would weather prohibition for the next 10 years. The hotel would soon become a part of the prominent Chase Park Plaza in 1929. The hotel featured renowned wrestling matches hosted in the hotel, which eventually became a prominent television program in the 1950s. The Chase Hotel was also one of the first in the country to desegregate in 1953. The Chase Hotel remains a cultural landmark to this day, but in the decades after Prohibition, people would still mention how a group of hotel patrons celebrating the new year had to literally fight for their right to party. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton, and is a proud member of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. As this year comes to a close, I just want to truly thank you for listening. This year I've really gotten to experiment and dig deeper into telling true stories that simply beg to be told. I cannot wait for you to hear what's in store for next year. I sincerely hope you enjoy the transition to the new year, drink responsibly, but if need be, As always, thanks for listening.